Yeah. 
Our scripture reading this morning is going to come from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. You can grab your Bible if you have it and turn there with me to Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. 
and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7. Pastor Mike will be preaching these this morning in just a moment. So once you turn there, you can follow along with me, starting in verse 1. This is the Word of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe, pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. In just a moment, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, but I do want to mention that this morning we're going to be praying for a missionary family of ours. That's Eric and Debbie Smith. They're serving with uh, uh, Karis Fellowship National Staff Development in Colorado Springs, training up the next generation of church leaders. So as we pray, uh, we'll be praying for them. You can also have a seat as we now go uh, to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning aware that it is an unbelievable privilege to be in your presence. You are holy and just and pure. You are all-knowing. You're everywhere. You sustain all things. Lord, you are the God who is unbelievably kind and unthinkably good. You're zealous for your own honor and you're merciful towards those who are humble before you. You are the God who's brought us near through Christ and in him we have boldness to come to your throne room and we have access through him. So Lord, we praise you for that. And yet the passage that we read this morning even just reminds us that it is, it is an awesome thing to be here in your presence this morning, Lord. That this isn't something to be done lightly. And so we, we worship you now in awe. Lord, we're humbled by your greatness. And in your presence, we are immediately reminded of all our sins. Lord, we know our shortcomings. Even this week, we failed you in so many ways. We've cherished all kinds of things above you. We've gone after other lords. We haven't loved you like we should. We haven't loved others like we should. We've fallen prey to the deceitfulness of sin. Lord, it's all laid out bare before you. You know it all, the deepest parts of our heart. And so we come to you this morning knowing that we need the grace that can be found only in Christ. Lord, we confess our sins and we thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Lord, we pray that you would continue this morning the work that you're doing to purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is a friend to sinners, that he's kind and that he extends mercy to those who come to him humbly. So we do that this morning. Thank you for the mercy that we have in Christ. And Lord, we also want to pray for Eric and Debbie Smith. We thank you for their ministry. We pray that you would encourage them this morning personally, that you would strengthen them and enable them to maintain a close relationship with you. And we also ask, Lord, that you would cause their ministry to bear eternal fruit. Lord, we thank you for the chance to be gathered together this morning, and we pray that as we sing and, and pray and hear from your word, you would be opening our eyes to see you for who you are. Lord, we want to know you. And we long to love you as we should. So we pray that you would get glory in our hearts this morning, the glory that you deserve. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
things that we hope for and look forward to. God, we ask that this morning as we worship, even through the hearing of your word, God, would we see you and would we know you and would it make us all the more eager for that day when we will gather all together as the bride of Christ, redeemed by the blood. Father, we thank you for this morning. We ask that you would be glorified by the blood of Christ. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Praise God for air conditioning, right? If you're in the tent, you're feeling the, the, the cool breeze wafting through the air. No, you're not. But we can hope. If you're live streaming with us, I hope you're cool. And it's a privilege to worship together and to uh, open up the Word of God together. And worship is really what this passage we're in today is about. Is there a right way to worship God? Is there a right way to worship God? How are we to approach God? Well, what is a life given fully over to God in worship, reverent worship, look like? Now, it seems that everyone knows the right way to worship God. Some will say, well, you have to have formality. You need to, to have liturgy. Uh, a pattern, a program of biblical topics and themes and symbols and seasons and days to facilitate your worship. And then on the other end of the spectrum, people will say, oh no, the right way to worship God is to be as casual and as familiar as you can be. Do as you please in God's presence. He knows everything. And then of course, there are those that go full tilt man-centered and say, God wants you to be happy you do you, God is fine with anything you do. Then there's the Jehovah's Witnesses who say they are the only ones who worship God the right way. You just obey their rules and do certain things and you're in. And then there are those that deny that God exists and it's a free-for-all. Is there a right way to worship God? Today in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7, Solomon tells us, yes, there is a right way to worship God. There actually is a right and wrong way to worship God, and, and he's going to tell us why it's important. Now think about living right now where we live. You, you find yourself worried, frazzled, hot and bothered, uh, sick of how things are going in the world and in your life and in your heart. Uh, you see everything driven by envy and oppression and injustice and greediness and you worry that things are you know, upside down and you wonder and Ecclesiastes is here uh, to say all is not lost. All is not lost. Solomon said there is a right way to worship God and this is what's going to help you as you go through the struggle that you are in right now. What Solomon is doing is he is uh, stopping mid-book, he's stepping back and giving a mini summary of what he will say at the end. 
Solomon addresses worship from two angles. First, listening. Second, speaking. Listening and speaking, in that order. First listening and then speaking. Let me give you the point right now. The the right way to worship God is this. It is to be fully surrendered as you quietly listen to the word of God and as you carefully pray to God. There's a a full surrender in worship to God and, and you must first quietly listen to the word and secondly, carefully speak to God in prayer. Now we are fallen people, we are uh, frail, we are uh, prone to wander, and we look around the world, we can't figure it out, can we? We can't figure out the, uh, the book of creation, the world that we observe, but by the Holy Spirit's empowerment and illuminating in a, in a believer's life, you can understand the book of God, the word, and God speaks in the word, and so you're to pick up the word of God and listen, and then respond. This is what Solomon is saying. This is the right way to worship God. Let's pick this idea up first, the idea of quietly listening to God's word. Quietly listening to God's word. But before we do that, I know we're on live stream, but before we do that, I'm going to ask someone if they could unplug this fan for me. I'm going to be okay without it. And, and then I want to see who's got a fan. Who's got a fan? There's a yellow fan over here. I see another yellow fan somewhere. Another yellow fan, a blue fan, then you got the postcard fans, and I'm just telling you, if you're under the tent right now, you are the A-team, you are the all-stars, you are, no, I don't need that fan. Uh, someone was wondering if I needed that fan. No, I don't need it, I'm just gonna go ahead and sweat. This is just really loud. Someone cared about me and put that there, but it's just really loud and it's, it's blowing hot air on me. <laughs> it's very well-intentioned. Um, But let's talk about quietly listening to the word of God, shall we? Quietly listening to the word of God. And it was really loud. It was like a turbine engine right there, and I couldn't quietly listen to the word of God. Quietly listening to the word of God. Uh, It's the idea of listening up. It's in verses 1 through 3. Thank you very much, by the way. Thank you, my assistant. Um, First verse, number number 1, verse number 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Like, watch your, watch your steps. Guard literally means to put a hedge around with thorns or a fence to protect, to attend to, to take heed. Watch your step. Literally, stay in your lane when you go to the house of God. Now, this is assuming that you are surrendered to God, that you are yielded to God. You're going to the house of God. You're going to worship God. Think of the house of God that Solomon built. Solomon built God's temple in Jerusalem. We see it in 1 Kings chapter 8. But verse 1 goes on, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, but they don't know they're doing evil. Listen here has a double force in Hebrew. It means to pay attention and to obey. To hear it and then do it. It's like in 1 Samuel 15 when God had said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take... Uh, the spoil, and you're going to uh, destroy it. Uh, they said, no, we're going to take it, and we're going to sacrifice to God. That's what we're going to do. And Samuel says, no, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. So right away, we run into both the beauty and the buzzsaw of the holiness of God. 
Guard your steps. Listen. In Exodus 3, verse 5, we're told, we're, they're told, do not come near, take your sandals off. The place of which you are standing is holy ground. Moses hears those words. Joshua heard similar words. God took great pains to guard his earthly threshold, even by the threat of death. Leviticus 15, 31, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle. God punishes those who treat him casually. Now, I don't want you to dismiss this as Old Testament harshness. The New Testament is equally warning of treating lightly what is holy. Just think about coming to the Lord's table, and you come to 1 Corinthians 11, and it says, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of remembrance of Christ's shed blood in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and blood of Christ. So examine yourself and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We are not to take liberties with God. And, and an emphasis on grace is never going to justify taking liberties with God. Grace calls for gratitude. And it is not casual. It is not casual at all. The, it, this points up the cost of admission to the heavenly sanctuary and the purity that is demanded. Hebrews 10.19 says, your, your hearts must be sprinkled clean and washed with pure water. This is pointing to salvation by the shed blood of the Lord's servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. It drives home the love that we must have for the church of God, the, the temple of the living God. And when it says in verse one, when you go up to the house of God, it is assuming that you are surrendered to God and, and it's using very familiar biblical terms. God drawing near so his people can enjoy his closeness, a holy God allowing his people to enjoy his fellowship. You go further back and you go to Genesis 28 and Jacob says, surely the Lord is in his place. I did not know it. He was afraid. He was in awe of God. And he says, how awesome is this place? This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. We've seen these words before, the house of God. What's the significance? You go further back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. You've got the Genesis account of creation in chapter 1 and then retold in chapter 2 with more info. God created the world and he created the world with distinctions. He made a special land among all the other lands. He made the Garden of Eden. He placed man among the trees and his creation and two special trees. But they trespassed, they stole forbidden food, they were exiled from the sanctuary garden, and sin cursed the entire creation. An angel guarded the way to the tree of life. So then when you get to the time when God is telling Moses to build a tabernacle, it's not something 100% new. He is leading God's chosen people out of Egypt across the wilderness to a chosen land in the midst of the nations. And there was a new sanctuary, a tabernacle, a new garden sanctuary. God was reestablishing the order of Eden that he would be close with his people, that they would be surrendered to him. Then you get to Solomon's temple centuries later, even more glorious, the place where God would dwell with his people. You think of Adam in the garden, corresponding to the priest serving in the tabernacle. God put man in Eden to both serve and guard it. Genesis 2.8. In the first five books of Moses, those, those words are found only one other place. In Numbers 18.7, about the priesthood. You and your sons shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar that is within the veil, and you shall serve. 
what we see here is that God not only cared about a tent or a building, the sanctuary was a way of designating a people that would be near him, a people that would be close to him. So when you come to the house of God, it is assuming surrender to God and God dwelling with his people. You think of John chapter one, verse 14, and that whole tabernacle idea, that's what it was all about, starting in the garden, angling to the new heavens and the new earth. We read in John 1:14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, literally tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God's dwelling at the sanctuary was to gather a people to himself, to be close to him and to serve him. As 1 Peter 2 tells us, we are kingdom and priests, living stones being made into a temple for the Lord. And Jesus came to God's people at the perfect time with concerns for the consequences of treating God as holy to purchase us for God, to grant us closeness with God. And so the church is the fulfillment of the tabernacle and the temple. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Think about it. We come together as a church, whether we're sweaty under a tent, whether we're in the air conditioning, on the live stream, we are in the presence of God. Even now, those of you that are with me here, we're in the presence of God. God is with us in worship. He is with us as we gather. We are in God's special presence as his special people. And one day we're gonna be in Eden 2.0, the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so when you start with this first verse and you say, I'm going to the house of God, and you know, I need to be careful. The idea is I'm surrendered to God, and I need to listen to the word of God. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Verse 2 tells us, don't be rash with your mouth. You're coming to God to worship. You're, you're surrendered to God in worship. You need to listen to the word of God. Don't be rash with your mouth. Don't be quick or hasty to tell God the score. Don't be quick and hasty to speak in God's presence before you listen first. And the reason why, in verse 2, is that God is in heaven and you are on earth. As Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. This points to his presence, his power, his sovereign rulership over all you come before God with a surrendered heart to listen to his word. This is why verse two ends, therefore, let your words be few. Let your words be few. Verse three then starts talking about dreams, which is kind of interesting. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. It's just to make the point that you work hard and then you sleep and you dream and a fool works hard to be foolish. This is about listening to God's word versus telling God things. In Jeremiah 7, God says, Obey my voice and I will be your God. You shall be my people. Walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. This is about God's authority in his authoritative word. So we are to listen to God. We are to listen up. Let all the earth be silent before him. That we would have 
literally terror at the greatness of God, that we would tremble at his word, that we would draw near to listen. This is what James tells us in James 1.19. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And the outcropping of that quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger is to receive the implanted word of God that is able to save your souls. When you come to the word, you need to listen rather than pushing your ideas. That you let it sink in. So many people I run into, you, you quote a Bible verse and they're like, I know all about that. And they tell you all about it without listening to the actual verse. Some people, no one can tell them anything. It's like they know it all. They don't learn. They're always telling. When you come before God with a surrendered heart and you want to listen to the word of God, whether you're alone in your home, whether you're gathered with your household to read the word or whether you're here to worship God together with the people of God, it's like standing before a judge in a courtroom when you open up God's book. You know, someone can go into a courtroom and talk over the judge, right? Or they can keep telling the judge what to do, or they could talk without permission. And every time that happens, the judge is going to say, be silent now. We're to absorb the word of God. We're to to take time to think about it, to, to literally meditate upon it, and to roll it over in our heart and our mind. Like, it takes time to do that. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can take time with a verse or a passage in the Bible. Because to listen to God is to to sit under the word of God. And before you make observations, before you look for illustrations and implications and applications, take much more time listening to the actual Bible. More than five minutes. More than one verse, you know, stuck at the end of a a devotional. A a snack is not going to do. You need a feast of the word of God. You need the full counsel of God. It's going to take time. I mean, how often, when you open up your Bible, do you sit under the word of God before you run to something else? You actually take time to hear the word of God and not say, well, I've just got five minutes, I'm just gonna run. I will tell you, I've created a bit of a bad habit in my life. I got into the habit of, of, which was good, was I wanted to hear the word of God being read out loud, and so I'd get on my device, and I'd put the large print of the Bible so I could see it, and then I would listen to someone reading it to me. And I thought, wow, I'm reading it, and I'm hearing it at the same time. This is going to be good for me. But what happened was I began, as I was listening to the word, I began to read other things while I was listening to the word, read an email or an article, as I'm listening to the word, it was not a good practice for me. And so now I'm having to discipline myself to go back and actually look, if I'm gonna listen to it, to look at the very words as I'm hearing them read and, and take time and think and not be in such a rush to, to get on to the next thing. It happens in our home, even as our family opens up the word of God. It is so easy to stick the Bible time in between other demanding things. Now, some of you are like, we don't even have the Bible in our household. Something needs to change in your household. 
that you would actually spend the time. Some people will say that's a waste of time. It is never a waste of time to open up God's word and to listen to what he is saying in the word. Never a waste of time. You spend time with God in fellowship as you take in his magnificent word that you would read it, that you would listen to it, that you would do this with others, that kids, that you would actually hear your parents reading the Bible. God designed it that way. Look at Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm 78 and Ephesians 6. God designed it so that parents would read their kids the very word of God, that you would hear your parents' voice as they're reading the word of God. Read the Bible out loud, alone and with other people. Bring it to bear upon your life. Let the word of God wash over you and wash you. Without the word of God, you cannot worship God. Worship is always founded upon the word of God. God reveals himself in all his glory in the word. There's a theology of listening to God in the word. That he is the sovereign, righteous ruler over all. That he's the creator and sustainer of all things. And as you read the word, as you hear the word, you are silently acknowledging his greatness. It's like the silence that you experience when you're in the presence of someone great and powerful and important. It's this respectful reverence that you give to God as you open up his word. The psalmist says, for, t- for you I wait in silence, O Lord. Do you know there is a transformation that takes place as you take in the word of God? As you you let the word of God sink into your soul and as you quietly listen to God, there's a transformation that takes place. The story is told of Renaissance Italian painter Raphael that he was commissioned to paint a portrait of Jesus Christ and that he obtained a New Testament and that every day he would open up his Bible, and they would watch him doing this. They would see him with paintbrush in hand, with Bible open, and he was just fixated on the Word of God. Everything about his face was just pointed towards the Word of God. Every thought was absorbed. You couldn't interrupt him. But he had his paintbrush in his hand, and his, his nose was in the Bible. And suddenly, one day, he falls to his knees, and he just cries out, my Lord and my God! And he never painted the picture. But his soul was transformed. God changed his soul by the word of God. If you want to worship God the right way, first quietly listen to God's word. In that order, first listen to the word of God. Secondly, and we see this in verses four through seven, but secondly, after you listen, carefully venture to speak to God in prayer. This is about carefully speaking to God in prayer, but it's specifically about making vows and doing what you intend and not making promises you you aren't intending to keep, but just that as a believer in 2020, you'd keep walking step by step following Christ. Look at verse four. Put your eyes on verse four, please. Look at the text. Look what it says. When you vow a vow to God... You're intending to do something, and you tell God, this is what I want to do. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Now, the word fool is is, uh, repeated three times in this passage. 
But this line, he has no pleasure in fools, is probably as crushing a statement as you can read, a crushing as an indictment that is in the Bible. And the idea is pay what you vow. It's based upon Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. The psalmist in Psalm 116 says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Well, the idea here is that promises made to God have serious implications. You, have, you don't have to look any further than Acts chapter 5. And Ananias and Sapphira learned the hard way. But look at verse 5 here. It even tells you it's better that you shouldn't vow than you should vow and not pay. Like, don't even make the promise to begin with if you're not intending to do it. That's based on Deuteronomy 23. If you make a vow to the Lord, you shall not delay fulfilling it, or the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you'll be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. So you have to be careful about your vows, your promises, your commitments you make. Think about it. What kind of vows do we make in life? First thing that comes to mind is marriage vows, right? Marriage vows. So you, at, at a wedding, uh, the bride and the groom, they say, I do, I will, and you promise these things. But not all married couples take those vows seriously. Think about in the church, what kind of vows do we make? Think about baptism. You know, recently we had baptisms under the tent. We had those horse troughs here. I even told someone this week, hey, put the horse trough in there and put some ice water. I'll preach from the horse trough. No one went for my idea. No one liked it. It's not here. It was a great idea. I know. But think about when you get baptized as a believer, you're like, I know Christ. I, I love Christ. I follow Jesus. And I intend to obey him with my life. You're making a vow there, really, in front of people. How about when you become a church member? Will you say, you know what? I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to link up with this local church. I believe what the Bible says. I'm going to do this. I'm with you. How about when you come to the Lord's table? Even that verse we read before about if you do it with an unworthy manner, you're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. You're coming to the Lord's table and saying, I'm remembering Jesus Christ because my life has been saved by Jesus and, and everything about my life needs to be focused upon him that he is the, the compass of my life, that he is my north star, that he is the focus and the, the determination of my life, that I would want to please him, that I'm not going to live to please myself, but for him who died and rose again on my behalf. Look at verse 6. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? The idea here is don't vow something that your fleshly desire will cause you to break. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Let what you say be simply yes or no, and anything more than that comes from evil. The idea is let your word be true. If you say you're going to do it, do it. Matthew 6, 7, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. People just praying, saying all sorts of things they think sound good to other people. You're praying to God. You have to be very careful with your words as you pray to God. Think about the prayers you've prayed in the last day or the last week. 
How many of them were prayers that were for your agenda? You see the injustice and the oppression in the world. You see envy and greediness in your own heart, but also in others. And you start praying your recipe for solution that you want God to bring about. God's not a drive-through taking your order. You need to be very careful that you're praying for the will of God. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, at the judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That includes our prayer before God Almighty, that we would speak to God carefully, that we would say what you mean and mean what you say, that if you don't mean it, don't say it, because God is holy, God is good, God wants you to be close with him, but don't mess it up by just saying things just to fill the air. Be careful, be accurate according to who God is and what he does. Don't do the empty babbling or the empty phrases. Uh, No filler material. Like, how do you pray without putting in the filler material? You think as you pray. You think as you pray, just like when you're talking to a friend and you build a relationship with a friend, you're actually thinking about what you're saying. Be careful about promising anything that you do not intend to keep. I remember an old movie with Burt Reynolds in it and Dom DeLuise. It was called The End. And Burt Reynolds had asked Dom DeLuise uh, to do him a favor and basically like do away with him, okay? And so all the way through the movie, Dom DeLuise is unable to fulfill his promise to his friend. So finally, Burt Reynolds says, I'll take care of this myself. And he throws himself into the sea and swims far, far out. And he gets to a certain place, and he just kind of sinks down in there and says, goodbye, crew world, you know? And then he starts thinking, I don't want to die. I'm going to drown, and I don't want to die. And he, he pops up out of the water. He says, I want to live. I want to live. And then he turns and sees how far he is from land, and he's like, I'm going to die. I'm too far away from land. I can't swim back in. And so he starts God, making God all these promises. Oh, Lord, if you save me and get me to land, I will serve you with my whole life. Everything's yours, blah, blah, blah. And he starts making his way to land. Well, the closer he gets to land, the lesser the promises to God are. Finally, I think when he gets out, and he he survives, and he gets out on the the shore break there, and he's like, all right, God, I might see you Sunday. Right? It's like, wow. Don't promise what you will not keep. Don't make foolish promises. By the way, God knows your heart, right? God knows your heart. God knows that you're weak and frail and prone to wander. He knows your heart. Pour your heart out to him, honestly, reverently. We don't know how to pray as we ought, right? Romans 8 tells us the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, but that is not an excuse for you and I to be lazy or haphazard in our prayer. Well, God will take care of it. I'm just going to say whatever I want. Think about when we pray, Abba, Father. That doesn't mean, oh, you know, Casual, it means close. Abba, Father. This deep respect, this dependent reverence for the God who saves through the blood of Christ, the yielded surrender, where you draw near to God, the humble, repentant, eager, dependent heart who prays. You seek God's glory. You seek the good of others as he unfolds his providential plans, as he unfolds his sovereign will. A lot of people will ask, well, why should I even pray if God is sovereign and he knows what he's going to do? 
Well, because God says to pray. He invites you to pray. He wants you to come and be close with him and pour your heart out to him. And he changes your heart as you pray. Did you know that Ecclesiastes and really the whole Bible, for that matter, will always build you the same worldview? It will always build you the same worldview. God is sovereign over all, and you need to acknowledge his lordship. Approach him with an undivided heart. All of you, heart, soul, mind, strength. And prayer is exercise for your heart and soul. It expands your capacity to love God and love others. God has your best interests in mind. Pour your heart out to him in prayer. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He knows what he is going to do. You come to him with a a surrendered heart. You listen to his word, and then you carefully pour your heart out in prayer. And then we get to verse 7. And we get to some dreams again. You're like, why the dreams again? Verse 7, when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. Well, the dreams here are daydreams. It's where you reduce worship to verbal doodling. I'm just going through the motions. Excess talk throws up folly. Uh, Just as excess work ends up in troubled dreams. But then verse seven ends this way. But God is the one that you are to fear, to reverence, to worship. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says, the end of the matter is this, all has been heard Fear God and keep his commands. Worship God, keep his word. This is the whole duty of man. You're not to fear man and work for the applause of people. You're not to come to God carelessly and without a thought. You're to live coram Deo, before the face of God. Not just self-aware, but God-aware. It's one thing to be self-aware, I mean, you should be learning and growing in that part of your life. You should be aware of how you come across. But the most important thing that helps you be self-aware is to be God-aware. Aware of his presence, aware of his power, aware of his ways, aware of who he is and what he does. And as you're God-aware and you're surrendering yourself to God, take up your Bible and read it. Digest it. Chew it up. May, may it cause you to look up. May, may, it, may it cause you to listen up and be filled up with God's goodness and glory. And after you've listened to God's word, then carefully venture to speak a word to God in prayer. I mean, how familiar do we get with our thoughts of God that we don't think awesome thoughts of God? We just go through the motions. We bring him down to our level. Well, Jesus did come down to our level to die for our sins. So we're to treat him as holy. You know, in John chapter four, Jesus is approached by a woman asking about the right place to worship God. And Jesus gives an answer that the woman is not expecting, and he says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. It's the same woman that he approached to give some water. He wanted water. But she comes to him and says, where are we to worship? And, And he says, God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. You worship God from your spirit, from your soul, And in truth, that word aletheia from the Greek, truth, it means reality, it means fact. The Spirit has given us the truth of the word, and the truth of the word will change everyone who comes to Christ. The proper worship of God, the right worship of God is focused on the word and prayer. Listen, learn, then speak. Listen first to the word, sweeter than honey, better than gold, and then respond with 
cautious, careful words, consistent with the word, content with what God is providing for you, calling upon him, dependently and humbly, expectantly, gloriously, enabled by his good grace. Not making promises, relying upon the promises. I don't want you to think that, hey, we do these things together individually as households with the gathered church, and so I'm just going to make a bunch of promises today about what I'm going to do with the word and prayer. Please don't do that. Please don't let this moment pass without actually enjoying this moment. So you're hot and sweaty, me too. But could, you, could we still enjoy this moment, right this moment? In God's presence, together. The Bible's open. And the heart's open to what he has for us. That we would enjoy this moment, this, this very moment, like right now, and just say, praise God, and then, and then let this moment lead to the next and the next and just keep trusting and waiting upon God rather than making a bunch of promises and decisions, that commitments that you must do. I'm telling you, Ecclesiastes is very pivotal here. It's not just random moral advice. This is, this is the right way to worship. Quietly listening to the word of God, carefully praying to God in prayer, moment by moment, sweet fellowship with the triune God who invites you into his fellowship in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you are God Almighty. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the right way to worship you, fully surrendered, listening to your word, speaking to you in prayer. We, we confess your name, Lord, Christ's name and, and our need. Thank you, Lord, that Christ is faithful as a son over the house of God. Thank you, Lord, that that's why we remain, that, that we can even pray right now. That if it were not for Jesus Christ, we could not listen or speak. Everything would be vain, but in Christ, everything is victory. Christ, the wisdom and power of God. Lord, to you alone be glory. Lord, thank you for the grace that you have given us to be in your presence now. You are the all-holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sustaining God. You are present with us now. You have rescued us in Christ. You have brought us into your house. Thank you, Lord, that we have access to your throne of grace through Christ. We know our sins. We know we fail. We know we fall. We know we follow idols. We know we forget your wonderful word. But thank you, Lord, for your patience. Thank you for your presence. Lord, we lean on your mercy and your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, friend of sinners, Savior to the weak, Savior to the wandering. Lord, to you alone be glory. Uh, use us now as we surrender our hearts to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we respond singing in Christ alone? Still, 
when striving sees my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in heaven, pain. Gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. On him was laid, here in the death of Christ. forward to in the future, new heavens and a new earth. Uh, many of you have, have some uh, coolness to look forward to when you get to your car called the air conditioner. Uh, be praying for Onclados uh, that's meeting in here at 11.15 because they're going to be underneath this tent. So be praying for Pastor Jose as he preaches. And also um, uh, make sure you take your fan home with you or your fridge friend or whatever you want to call it. Uh, kids, you did awesome today. I'm going to tell you, all of you, parents, adults, grandparents, everyone, kids, uh, seriously, you did great uh, weathering uh, the tent. You're the tabernacle people here today. Uh, it's good to be with you, even in the heat, even in the heat. And let me end with this. 
Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, be diligent to be found in Christ without spot or blemish and at peace. And grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. And please exit the tent. Playground way. And do that quickly and go find some shade somewhere else on campus so that the next group can come on in. Thanks so much. God bless.